Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is taken from a series of books written under the banner In Defense of Christianity. Podcast 144, Argument for the Existence of God, Episode 3, is entitled Mount Improbability. In a previous podcast, I analyzed Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion for his use of the anthropic principle as an alternative to intelligent design. Listen to Season 4, Podcast 141, The Fallacy of the Anthropic Principle. In this podcast, I shall simply point out the inconsistency of Dawkins' argument against intelligent design. I am referring to Chapter 4 of The God Delusion, entitled, Why There is Almost Certainly No God. As often happens, when one is so caught up in a cause that the ends justify the means, they swim in a whirlpool of words and ignore the maelstrom of their own misaligned logic. Since Mr. Dawkins attacks Hoyle's famous Boeing 747 argument against chance, let me introduce Mr. Fred Hoyle. The following is taken from Wikipedia Encyclopedia. According to Fred Hoyle's analysis, the probability of obtaining all of life's approximate 2,000 enzymes in a random trial is astronomical. Life cannot have had a random beginning. The trouble is that there are about 2,000 enzymes, and the chance of obtaining all of them in a random trial is only one part of the outrageously small probability that could not be faced even if the whole universe consisted of organic soup. He further said, the chance that higher life forms might have emerged in this way is comparable to the chance that a tornado sweeping through a junkyard might assemble a Boeing 747 from the materials therein. This echoes his stance reported elsewhere. Life as we know it is, among other things, dependent on at least 2,000 different enzymes. How could the blind forces of the primal sea manage to put together the correct chemical elements to build enzymes? Hoyle used this to argue in favor of panspermia, that the origins of life on Earth was from pre-existing life in space. Mr. Dawkins, logically I might add, counters with, However statistically improbable the entity you seek to explain by invoking a designer, the designer himself has got to be at least as improbable. God is the ultimate Boeing 747. On that perceptive point, Mr. Dawkins deserves an answer. In next Wednesday's podcast, number 147, I shall address the issue. The existence of God could not happen by chance. In fact, anyone who rejects chance and accepts intelligent design must disallow chance on any level of creation, even, if not especially, the existence of God. Ironically, as I shall show next week, science gives us the answer. But first, let me have some fun at Mr. Dawkins' expense. 
Unknowingly, in arguing against the existence of God, Mr. Dawkins builds a case for the existence of God. Unfortunately, his argument is too flawed to accept it. But here is his argument. Natural selection works because it is a cumulative one-way street to improvement. It needs some luck to get started, and the billions of planets anthropic principle grants it that luck. Maybe a few later gaps in the evolutionary story also need major infusions of luck with anthropic justification. If that is true, how can Mr. Dawkins possibly argue against luck accounting for the existence of God? After all, it only had to happen once, and as Mr. Dawkins adamantly claims, The origin of life only had to happen once. We therefore can allow it to have been an extremely improbable event, many orders of magnitude more improbable than most people realize, as I shall show. The argument is a classic non-sequitur. It could be used as an excuse for the creation of anything. Let me write it another way. The origin of God only had to happen once. We therefore can allow it to have been an extremely improbable event, many orders of magnitude more improbable than most people realize, as I shall show. Let me put it even another way, for it is a very ambitious statement with unlimited possibilities. The origin of unicorns, Bigfoot, witches, banshees, magicians, prophets, mermaids, fairies, griffins, Loch Ness Monster, ogres, trolls, centaurs, the werewolves only had to happen once. We therefore can allow it to have been an extremely improbable event, many orders of magnitude more improbable than most people realize, as I shall show. And, with the one in a billion planets theory, where every billionth planet has life, all of the above could be possible. Unhappily, Mr. Dawkins' argument breaks down into circularity and self-contradiction. Using self-contradiction, Mr. Dawkins accurately claims, The greater the statistical improbability, the less plausible is chance as a solution. That is what improbable means. But the candidate solutions to the riddle of improbability are not, as is falsely implied, design and chance. I couldn't agree more. The greater the statistical improbability, the less plausible is chance as a solution. I also agree that the candidate solutions to the riddle of improbability are not design and chance. Chance can have no part in creation where law is concerned. It can only be intelligent design, governed by a complete set of laws. Then Mr. Dawkins says a peculiar thing as if contradicting himself. They are design and natural selection. Chance is not a solution, given the high levels of improbability we see in living organisms, and no sane biologist ever suggested that it was. Strangely, he argues that design played a role in creation but denies that it was intelligent design. I hate to break it to him, but inherent in the word design is intelligence. It must have a designer. He contradicts himself again when he claims that chance is not a solution. I couldn't agree with him more, but he just told us that, quote, the origin of life only had to happen once. We therefore can allow it to have been an extremely improbable event. 
many orders of magnitude more improbable than most people realize, as I shall show, he concluded. He also admits that natural selection needs some luck to get started. He must be aware that luck and chance mean the same thing. Again, though he accurately posits that chance is not a solution, I certainly cannot disagree with Mr. Dawkins, and if he is right, no sane biologist ever suggested that it was. What I can't understand is why Mr. Dawkins contradicts himself. But let's take his arguments as he presents them. Listen carefully. Listen twice if necessary. It becomes more confusing with familiarity. Mr. Dawkins claims, The answer is that natural selection is a cumulative process, which breaks the problem of improbability up into small pieces. Each of the small pieces is slightly improbable, but not prohibitively so. Did he not just tell us earlier that chance is not a solution? Were the small or large, chance is still chance. We must hold Mr. Dawkins to his claim that chance is not a solution, whether large or small. But I need to be fair with Mr. Dawkins. He has an answer for the absurd contradiction above, which I will present. He continues. When large numbers of these slightly improbable events are stacked up in a series, the end product of the accumulation is very, very improbable indeed improbable enough to be far beyond the reach of chance. From that claim, it appears that he has solved the greatest riddle of the universe. But, as we get closer to his argument, he again leaves us in circles, therefore giving us no solution at all. But first, let me point out what he doesn't have an answer for. He claimed above that, quote, chance is not a solution given the high levels of improbability we see in living organisms and no sane biologist ever suggested it was, unquote. He turns around and claims, quote, the answer is that natural selection is a cumulative process, which breaks the problem of improbability up into small pieces. To put it bluntly, he claimed that natural selection did not count upon chance, and then claimed that it did count upon chance, just less chance, which, by the way, he fails to give the magnitude, I think because it was inconvenient. That leads to argument two. First, he explains why the improbability doesn't increase when actually it appears to increase exponentially. He claims creationists don't understand, quote, the power of accumulation. His claim is that Mount Improbability has two sides. One, a sheer cliff that no one can climb. The other, a gentle slope. His argument is, Evolution, by contrast, goes around the back of the mountain and creeps up the gentle slope to the summit, easy. Clever analogy for sure. But speaking of summit easy, there is nothing easier than debunking his analogy of mount improbability. First, let me be clear. Dawkins is right in saying that chance is not a solution to the problem of creation, regardless of the level of probability. He is wrong when he allows any chance, regardless of how small, to play a role. Remember Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Here, let me again quote Dawkins. Natural selection works because it is a cumulative one-way street to improvement. It needs some luck to get started, and the billions of planet anthropic principle grants it that luck. Maybe a few later gaps in the evolutionary story also need major infusions of luck with anthropic justification.
Let me refer you to Podcast 141 to help you understand why the anthropic principle is not an alternative to intelligent design, as Dawkins claims. Dawkins claims it requires major infusions of luck. That is not acceptable. But it doesn't matter anyway. If there had been no creation of life in the first place, there would have been no theory of evolution, no natural selection, no one-way street to improvement. Yet the most important claim of all to Dawkins' theory is that life began by accident. I shall hold his statement up again for your perusal. The origin of life only had to happen once. We therefore can allow it to have been an extremely improbable event, many orders of magnitude more improbable than most people realize, as I shall show. Can you see the colossal contradiction? In the origins of life, regardless of having to happen only once, and, by the way, such an argument could be used on every species of known life. It only had to happen once, therefore we can allow it to have been an extremely improbable event. Many orders of magnitude more improbable than most people realize. That is his answer? That is how he bypasses chance by multiplying the improbability? What is to keep us from using the argument for every first cause? At what point does it break down? If the first cause, that is, the origin of life, depends upon luck, then everything that follows, regardless of what it is, depends upon the same improbability. In other words, if the first stroke of luck had not occurred, there would be no mount improbability, no sheer cliff on one side and no easy slope on the other. There would be no mountain at all. How did Mr. Dawkins miss that little obstacle in his argument? To an evolutionist, first cause is everything, and everything depends upon first cause. What applies to first cause applies to everything that follows. It is inescapable. It is foolish to talk about evolution until you solve the problem of the origin of life. To say that something happened entirely by accident is acceptable because it only had to happen once is no explanation at all. Even the anthropic principle doesn't account for the existence of life. His next assumption is equally improbable. It is this. Life happened by chance. And by some coincidence, the instant life happened, there magically appeared natural selection, a complete set of laws that takes over and creates a one-way street to improvement. Suddenly, science is born. How is that possible? And how does that dispute the argument of intelligent design? Where did natural selection come from? Where did the complete set of laws come from? It couldn't be natural selection, for that would mean something would have to create itself out of nothing. It is like arguing that natural selection only had to happen once. Therefore, we can allow it to have been an extremely improbable event. Or, a complete set of laws only had to happen once. Therefore, we can allow it to have been an extremely improbable event. Or, something creating itself from nothing only had to happen once. Therefore, we can allow it to have been an extremely improbable event. Where does it end? One would also have to add that mountain improbability only had to happen once. Let me remind you that it was Dawkins who said, quote, Chance is not a solution given the high levels of improbability we see in living organisms. I am amused at how Mr. Dawkins gets around admitting to intelligent design. He uses such phrases as, A powerful illusion of apparent design. A separate illusion of design. The persuasive illusion of intelligent design.
On the scale of creation, any dependence upon chance would be catastrophic, and everything would have to start over, and over, and over. Allowing chance to enter at any point debunked his idea that the creation of life only had to happen once. There's only one safe answer to creation, and that is law. Absolute, irrevocable law. There must be a complete set of laws that governs every system from beginning to end. Oh, wait a minute. That statement seems awfully familiar. I quote the renowned scientist Mr. Stephen Hawking from his book The Grand Design. There must be a complete set of laws that, given the state of the universe at a specific time, would specify how the universe would develop from that time forward. These laws should hold everywhere and at all times. Otherwise, they wouldn't be laws. There could be no exceptions or miracles. Gods or demons couldn't intervene in the running of the universe. Do not be too quick to condemn Mr. Hawking for saying that there could be no exceptions or miracles. Gods or demons couldn't intervene in the running of the universe. Mr. Hawking doesn't believe in miracles because he doesn't understand miracles. No miracle of God ever violated law. God is a God of miracles. However, if miracles violate the laws of God, everything would be chaos. Everything God did would unravel. God is the most law-abiding being in the universe. Do not overlook the law of justice. Even the law of mercy must satisfy the law of justice. The law of justice is unconditional. It is who God is. If he violated the law of justice, he would cease to be God. The purpose of law is to bring order out of chaos. God is first a God of law and order. The only reason he can be a merciful God is because Christ paid the price of a broken law, that law being the law of justice. Only Christ could atone for our sins. We cannot atone for our own sins because something cannot come from nothing. We live in a fallen world outside the law of justice. Christ never violated the law of justice. Therefore, he had power over the law of justice. He died to bring us back into the safety of the law of justice where God lives. Without the atoning sacrifice of Christ, we could never return to the presence of God. Let me clarify Mr. Hawkins' statement. Gods or demons couldn't intervene in the running of the universe. It would have been more accurate if he had said, Gods or demons cannot violate the law of justice in the running of the universe. Regarding demons, demons do not have the power of creation. They are destroyers. The only power they have is to try to persuade us to violate the laws of God. Even then, they cannot do that against our will. We may give Satan power over us, but he cannot force us to do his will. Because of agency, Christ will never force us to do good. Because of Christ, Satan can never force us to do evil. Because we have God, we have law. Science must deal with the origin of law. Chance, luck, probability, natural selection, anthropic principle, serendipity of surroundings, they do not answer. There were no serendipity of surroundings before creation. I am not trying to prove that God exists. Only through the eyes of faith can we see the hand of God in creation, and faith is an individual thing. I am, however, illustrating that Richard Dawkins' argument against God or intelligent design is illogical and scientifically unacceptable. 
it is a non-argument. It is circular, and it is self-contradictory. And his entire argument in the God delusion should be dismissed. Before evolution can even occur, life must first begin. Dawkins' argument is impossible to accept. In what universe could Dawkins' claim be true when he said that the origin of life only had to happen once? We therefore can allow it to have been an extremely improbable event. It is an open admission that Mr. Dawkins has no clue how life started, and neither does science. That he believes what he is saying, I have no doubt. His books show him to be exceptionally clever and very knowledgeable, which makes me wonder why he commits some of the logical blunders. Is he disingenuous or self-deceived, or does he simply allow his enthusiasm or his hatred toward God to override his better judgment? I do not believe that anyone can use science to prove or disprove the existence of God. But the God delusion is a poor argument based on transparently faulty assumptions. Belief in God has always been faith-based. I can find no better ways to find God than the following. 1. Read the Word of God. 2. Test its teachings by applying them in your life. 3. Ask God Himself. He is available to anyone. He is only a prayer away. As a persuasive argument against God, the God delusion falls far short as it does not satisfy the rules of basic logic. It is a cotton candy argument to satisfy the taste of those who live in a circus. Those who are searching for truth will, in reading the God delusion, find many exciting facts, for that is one of Mr. Dawkins' strengths, but they will find very little truth. As an inductive argument, the conclusions reflect Mr. Dawkins' opinions and biases, but have no logical foundation. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.